So good having you guys here today. Thank you so much uh, for being here, making church a priority. Uh, weekends get filled with a lot of stuff, don't they? There's a lot of other things you could be doing, and man, you're here, so thank you. Uh, speaking of weekends, so in our house, I'm sure you kind of do something similar. Weekends are the time to get everything done that you didn't get done for the rest of the week, right? It's, it's finishing the rest of the stuff. It's getting ready for the week to come. And for us, that means a lot of like around the house, honey to-do to, honey to list type items. Um, so I am not a handyman whatsoever. So I say this with a whole lot of humility, but man, I'm super proud of myself. I changed a faucet yesterday, like a whole, a whole faucet. The whole, and the water works this morning. Even better. The whole day yesterday, the kids were like, can we use the water yet? Can we use the water yet? I'm like, no. Eventually, yes, but not yet. So changed the faucet yesterday. We had a leaky faucet. It's been on the list for a long time. Finally got to it yesterday. Uh, but I mentioned that because, again, I'm not a handyman. I'm decent on YouTube, which allows me to change a faucet. That's about the extent of it. But because I'm not a handyman and I am limited to changing faucets, that there's been plenty of times in our years as a homeowner that something broke. I most certainly should not even consider fixing it. Like it. It should not even be something I consider. And so I do what we do. I call a repairman. And the kind of the rhythm or the routine of calling a repairman is like the same. There's a handful that I keep in my phone that these are the kind of the go-tos when I need something fixed. So I call the repairman. They ask what the problem is. I explain the problem over the phone. We schedule a time. They show up. They fix the problem. I pay them for fixing the problem, and then they leave. Like, that's what happens every single time. Anytime I've had to call for somebody to repair something within our home, that's the process, and it has never changed. Wouldn't it be weird? Like, just hypothetically, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you have better repairmen than I do. But wouldn't it be strange if you had a problem, and you called the repairman, said, I need you to come over and fix the problem. You schedule a time, and then when they show up, they don't immediately go and fix the problem. Like, how weird would it be if they show up and they introduce themselves and say, hey, can we go have a seat at your kitchen table for a little bit? And you're like, okay. And so you go and sit down. You're like, when are we going to get to fixing the problem? Like, wait, 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 we'll get there. How's life? Like, how's your week going? And I'm like, mm, this isn't something I talk with you about. Like, you're here to fix something. So then they maybe go and fix it. But then after they fix, what if they wouldn't leave? What if they said, you know what? I'd love to stick around for dinner. What time do you have dinner? And I'd love to meet your wife and your kids. Whoa, 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 whoa. At that point, this is way too. No, I need you to go. I've paid you. You finished what I asked you to do. I need you to go. And what if that repairman just didn't really care much about fixing things, but actually wanted to get to know you a little bit more? See, what had been happening, we're studying, we're slowly studying the gospel of Mark, and we're discovering who Jesus is, but we also are discovering who other people wanted Jesus to be. And what we're seeing, we're in Mark chapter 4 now, and what we've seen up through chapter 4 is Jesus is doing some incredible things. He's doing miracles, he's doing healings, he's calling demons out of people, and there's two types of crowds that are growing to come and see Jesus. The first crowd is the crowd that has a problem and then wants Jesus to fix their problem. The first crowd is the crowd that would view Jesus more as a repairman. They want to see Jesus because he's doing all these amazing things. They've heard the reputation of Jesus. So more and more and more and more people are showing up. They're traveling crazy long distances, walking far away from far away. They're bringing relatives and friends and family members that are in need of something, and they're showing up to see Jesus. That's the first group, and that crowd is growing like crazy. Another crowd that's beginning to grow, we talked about this last week, is the crowd that is threatened by Jesus, those that are starting to resist Jesus. We talked a lot about them last week. 
So when you put those two groups of people together, this crowd that wants to see Jesus and be around Jesus has grown tremendously. And what we're going to see in chapter 4 is what Jesus does with these crowds. Because if I'm thinking of, how do we make this bigger? How do we keep getting more people? Like That tends to be where our human minds go. How do we keep inspiring more people to show up? How do we keep getting more people to be part of this crowd? Like That's where our minds tend to go when something grows. We want it to keep growing. We want it to make it grow even bigger and better and faster. Tends to be what we think about. But what's interesting is when we see uh, what Jesus does, as these crowds grow, we see what he does, and it's not to focus on growing the crowd. It's interesting. He actually begins to say things and do things that cause people to walk away. Interesting. I'll tell you, if a repairman showed up my house, fixed the problem, but then just sat in my kitchen table wanting to keep talking about life with me, I probably wouldn't call them again. That's a good way to lose business if you're a repairman. It's a great way to approach somebody if you want to be a friend. It's a great way to approach somebody if you want to have some kind of a relationship with them. And what we see is this tension, in my, in my words, people wanting Jesus to be a repairman and he wanting to be so much more. And that's causing people to say, you know what, if, that's, if, if you're not going to leave after you fix the problem, like if you're going to keep saying and doing weird things, I'm out. So as we go through Mark chapter 4 today, or a portion of chapter 4, here's what I want us to pay attention to. Is this right here? This is what the gospel writer John Mark is wanting us to pay attention to. This is what he does. He kind of groups things together, and he's grouping four teachings or four parables together to prove this point, that Jesus wasn't trying to grow a crowd. He was looking to recruit followers. That's where we're at in Jesus's ministry. The crowds are growing, but we start to see Jesus say and do things that point to this, that he wasn't trying to grow a crowd. He's going to say and do things that actually do the opposite but he's looking to recruit followers. He doesn't want spectators. He wants disciples. He doesn't want people that just admire from a distance. He wants people to fully follow him and give complete devotion and commitment to him. He's not looking to grow the crowd. He's looking to recruit followers. Now, like I said, this is a a portion of Mark chapter 4 where the gospel writer Mark, he groups four different teachings together. There are four different parables And it's interesting, we're going to see why, but Jesus uses parables a lot to teach. So he groups these four parables together. We're just going to focus on the first one. We don't have time to go through all four. But remember, if you've been with us, that we are going slowly through the gospel, Mark, and you get some homework this week. So if you haven't had a chance to opt in yet, pull out your phone. Here's how you can go through the gospel, Mark, with us, but do it outside of just a Sunday morning. Text Bible to that number, 706-903-9099, and you will get a text message Monday late morning. I think it's around 10 a.m. it goes out. You'll be told, here's what you're supposed to read for the week. Here's either a question or a thought or a prayer that goes with it. And it's only one or two chapters. So instead of just reading that one or two chapters and being done, what do we do the next day? Then we reread it on Tuesday, reread it on Wednesday, reread it on Thursday. We sit in that passage a lot longer. We keep going back to it because we're trying to go slowly through the gospel of Mark. That's one way to kind of dig in. So even though we're going through the first parable, there's three other parables that you can dig into, move a little slower through them this week. We also send out an email that gives a bunch of great Bible discussion questions. We send that email out every single Tuesday. So the QR code that's at your seat, it says scan me, scan that, click the link that says subscribe to church emails, and every Tuesday you'll get a going deeper email 
So you can take what you've read and dig in just a little bit more. You can sit with it and slowly move through with it and then have some great discussion either, either between just you and the Lord on your own in your own quiet time with you and your spouse, you and your roommates, you and your kids, you and whoever allows you to have some opportunities to dig a little bit deeper because we're not gonna get through all of it today. Sound good? Make sense? Awesome. If you got uh, your Bible, Mark chapter four, that's where we're gonna be for the rest of uh, the morning. And as we go through this again, Jesus is teaching and he's teaching as we're gonna see the crowds and keep that in mind. Remember, he's not, he did not come to grow the crowds. He was looking for and came to recruit disciples. So we'll go through it and then we'll talk through it as we walk through it. Uh, Mark chapter four, verse one. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. Look, a very large crowd. There's that crowd. And again, that crowd is full of people that want Jesus to heal, want, people, want Jesus to fix something. They're bringing problems to Jesus. That crowd is also full of people that are threatened and resistant to Jesus. But that, that crowd had been growing. It's a very large crowd, and they soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. The reason for that, two quick reasons, just so you know, uh, it's hard to teach people when people are literally just piled on top of you. So he got in a boat and put a little distance between him and the crowd so he could calm the crowd down and he could actually teach them. Also, water is a great natural amphitheater. So his voice is going to carry a lot farther over a body of water and then to the people. So he gets in the boat because he wants to teach them. You don't get in a boat when the crowd's on the shore to heal them. You get in a boat because you want to teach them and say something. Verse two, so he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. And then as we go through, we're gonna see the next parable. Real quick, let's talk about parables though. What is a parable? We need to answer that so we know why Jesus is using parables when he teaches. The word parable, original language, if you were to pull it apart, it's actually two words that's then shoved together. The two words that make up parable is the words para and bala. So para is where we even get the word parallel. means alongside. That's what para means. Then you take the second word bala and it means to throw down. So literally, think of like a ball. You're throwing a ball down. So literally what parable means is to throw down alongside. So that's what a parable is. A parable is a story that Jesus is going to throw down alongside a truth to help people understand it or think about it differently. That's the whole idea of a parable. And Jesus taught a lot in parables. He did not just say, here's the truth. He will on very important issues and on very important uh, aspects that need to be clear, but he teaches a lot in parables. And I want us to pay attention to why he does just that. As we go through the rest of the morning, I want you to think of this in three parts. The parable that Jesus is gonna give, how he's gonna teach, there's going to be a question that is asked about the parable, and then we're going to see Jesus explain the parable. So think of it in those three chunks, the parable, the question, and then the explanation. Let's start with the parable. Verse three, Jesus says, listen, pay attention. He's trying to get everybody's attention so they listen, because remember, they came for a repairman. They didn't come to listen to a teacher. So he's having to redirect their expectations and say, no, 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 no. I know what you came for, but I need you to listen to me. In this moment. So he says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep, deep roots, it died. Verse 7 Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. 
And they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Verse 9, he ends the parable, ends the teaching. Then he said, then Jesus said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now just imagine you're part of this crowd. You're part of the crowd that has heard about Jesus. You've heard the reputation of Jesus. You've heard about the miracles and the healings, all that Jesus can do. You've heard that, and you show up. You show up because either you have a problem that you need fixed, you have a, an issue that needs healing. Maybe you brought somebody else that has a, has a need, and so you're like, I'm going to bring him to Jesus because he can do something about it. Maybe you just want to be a spectator. You just, I just want to see something awesome happen. Regardless, you imagine yourself showing up as part of this very large crowd that you came to see Jesus doing, to do something miraculous, and instead Jesus gets in a boat, tells you to listen up, pay attention, and then starts talking about plants and seeds and farmers. Little disappointment there, maybe, right? As you're on the shore, you're like, yeah, 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 get to the good part. Yeah, you're like, when are you going to do like the calling demon people? I've always wanted to see that. Like, what's, let's watch that. Like, could you imagine the crowd's disappointment when Jesus gets in the boat, pushes off from shore, says, listen up, let me tell you about the farmer, let me tell about these soils, what happens when the seed lands on them, birds ate it, some of them wilted away, some of them had thorns, but some of it produced crops. If you have ears, make sure you're paying attention. Thank you and goodbye. Like, excuse me? <laughs> disappointment would be one feeling. But I also think a whole lot of confusion would be another. Like, what is he talking about? What does that have to do with anything? Why are we talking about plants and farmers? Like, what is going on? But Jesus spoke and taught a lot in parables. There's two responses that this crowd most likely would have had. And both of those responses are responses that we still have with God's word today. And they both start the exact same way. I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, what are you talking about? One crowd, one part of the crowd would say, I don't get it. Too much to try to figure out. He's obviously not going to, like, do the show, so let's go to lunch. What are we going to do next? Let's move on with our day. It's a long, long, long trip back. Let's get started. That's one group. Another group would have said, I don't get it. That is weird. Not what I was expecting. But why? What does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean about the sea? What, like, soil, does that have to do with me? Like, what part do I play in this? Jesus, why are you telling me this? One group didn't understand, and they walked away. One group didn't understand and stayed. And they didn't just stay, they leaned in. They didn't just lean in, they pursued him. They didn't just pursue him, they asked questions of him. They didn't just ask questions of him, they followed him around. You see the difference? Jesus used parables, not just to be creative in his teaching, not just to be a good storyteller, not just to make biblical truths and, and, and truths from God's word understandable on some level or relatable. He did it to give an invitation. The invitation of a parable is seek to understand or take it at face value and then move on. That's the invitation. So here's this very large crowd. Jesus says what no one is expecting, and he watches the crowd divide. Some walked away because they didn't get it, and they didn't really care to get it. They came for a show, and they didn't get their show. Others came to see Jesus do something great. They got something very different, but they leaned in. 
Jesus used parables as an invitation to show the conditions of our heart. Do we want the show or do we want him? That's part one. That's Jesus and the parable. Now we're going to get to part two. This is the question. Here's the question, verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with others who were gathered, so it's not just the 12 disciples. It is the 12 disciples, but there's another group of people, a smaller crowd. In fact, we don't even, we're not, Mark doesn't even use the word crowd here, but it's a small group of people that stuck around afterwards, waiting to ask Jesus a question. So the disciples with others were gathered around. Look, they asked him what the parables mean. Jesus, man, you've done some amazing things. Like we've seen miracles, we've seen healings, we've seen you call out demons. What's the deal with the farmer? I don't get that. Like, how does that fit in with why you came, Son of God, Messiah, farmer? Help me connect the dots. They wanted to know. They were leaning in. They desired to know more, so they stuck around and they asked the question. Jesus' reply, helpful but not helpful. Still a little confusing. Verse 11. He replied, Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secret, or maybe a better word there would be the mystery. Secret not as in, oh, nobody's going to know and you can't know. Mystery as in, I don't fully understand and I've got to pursue and I've got to ask questions. He said, you are permitted to understand the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, which would also imply that there would be some considered insiders. Verse 12, here's why, so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And then he quotes and even paraphrases out of Isaiah. He says, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. What Jesus is getting at, why he's pointing at Isaiah and he kind of paraphrases it and quotes it, he's basically saying there are some, he's kind of talking about this divide here, there are some that are going to see what I do but not understand why I really came. There's going to be some that hear what I say and they're totally going to take it out of context and miss exactly what I'm saying. Because if they really understood what I was doing and they really understood what I was saying, they would come to me because I'm the one that gives forgiveness. And he's even using that word outsider. What we see Jesus doing is he's intentionally creating a division. When you look at the crowd, he's intentionally dividing that crowd into those two groups we talked about. Those that didn't understand but walked away. Those that didn't understand but then stayed. Stayed to lean in stayed to ask a question. There's some that just want the show, and there's some that wanted Jesus for who he truly is based on who he said he is. That's what he's getting at here. So we're gonna move into the third part where Jesus is gonna explain the parable, but here's what I want us to make sure we're doing. I want us to have a little like spoiler alert on what Jesus is gonna explain because it's gonna help us navigate through the explanation. Because the whole point Jesus is getting at here is I want you to see the desire of your heart. So for somebody that showed up to Jesus that wanted to be healed, and instead of healings, Jesus talked about a farmer, does that person go away because Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations, or do they stay because they want to see what else there is to Jesus? That says a lot about your heart, and that's not being judgmental. That's just paying attention to how we respond, right? That's the point of this parable. How do we respond when we hear God's word? Or another way to ask it is, what is the condition of our heart when we meet Jesus, when we open up his word, when, like we sang earlier, when we are inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us up, what is the condition of our heart? So here's the question I would have for us as we move into the explanation of this parable. Here's the question. Do you have a humble heart that is hungry for Jesus? 
Do you have a heart that is humble? Meaning I don't fully understand. I don't fully get this. I don't really know, but I have this hunger to lean in. Humility says I am broken and I definitely don't get it. I'm not sure exactly why I'm here and what I'm doing. That's the humility. I'm surrendering and I'm submitting underneath God and his authority, even though I don't fully understand it. I mean, I'm reading some of this and I'm confused. I don't even know if I agree with all of it. So that's the humility. But it doesn't end with humility. It starts with humility and then moves into this hunger for Jesus. That Jesus, just because I don't understand doesn't mean I don't want to. Just because I totally don't get it doesn't mean I'm not going to lean in. So it's that hunger. It's that desire to Jesus. I want more than what you do. I want you. That's the point of this parable. And Jesus told the parable because he wants to see those that have the humble heart, but also the hunger. Not just, I called my repairman and you're supposed to show up and do what I need you to do and then leave. And then we'll move on. I'll call you if I need something else. Jesus says, I want you to have this humble heart that has a hunger for him. Not just what he can do, but for him. So do you? Do you have a humble heart that has a hunger for Jesus? As we go into the next part of the explanations, Jesus is going to explain, all right, here's the deal with the farmer and the seed and all these different soils. Let's kind of walk through them, explain them, and then we'll have some conversations and questions around it. So here's how Jesus responded to the great question, what does this mean? It's confusing. What's the deal? Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Meaning, you have to first pay attention to your heart. If we can't understand the condition of our heart, then really there's no reason to have further conversations. You gotta start with your heart. The farmer, verse 14, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So right there, he explains, well, the farmer is anybody that is spreading God's word. And the seed, that's really the most important aspect. The seed is God's word. Now, here's what's fascinating about this parable. We're reading about this in past tense. Like this is something Jesus said. You know what's really awesome? We're living this parable out as we speak, like right now. The parable is about anytime people hear the word of God. We have opened God's word. We are all a crowd together hearing God's word. The seed is being sown in all of our hearts. So now the question is, what kind of soil is that seed landing on? For every single one of us, we all need to answer that question. Am I receptive to it? Which soil am I going to resonate with the most? Because here's God's word being presented. How do I receive it? How do I respond to it? That's what Jesus is getting at with this parable. How will God's word land on you? And he goes on to explain. Here's the four soils. The first one, verse 15. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. He uses the, the imagery and the language of a footpath, right? A footpath is, is compact. It's hard. There's no way that that seed is going to be able to get down into that soil. It's too hard. And then there's a spiritual warfare element of, and Satan comes and takes it away. So the footpath, that would be the heart. That would be somebody that is completely resistant to God's word. A lot of reasons we can be resistant to God's word. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, God, I am so mad that you allowed that to happen, that you did that, that you didn't do that. There's a lot of maybe animosity and aggression and anger. And so you don't want to have anything to do with God because of anger. Maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's just apathy. I don't really care. It's not important to me. It's not a priority. There's a lot of other things I'd rather be doing with my time. A lot of other things I'd rather be focused on. This just isn't one of them. So it's not anger. It's just not caring. Regardless, that is a hard heart 
that God's word lands on and does not, is not able to move into the soil and actually start to grow and have roots. That would be the first soil, the first condition of our heart. Then we see the second soil, the second category. Verse 16, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with what? Receive it with joy. Oh, this is such great news. This is exciting. Oh, did you know all this? Oh, I discovered this. And God, this is awesome. What a great life of following Jesus. There's so much joy. There's so much excitement. But verse 17, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So the second category, the second soil is the person that has a heart that hears God's word. It's like, this is awesome. This is great. I love hearing this. I didn't know this before. And you start to consume it and you start to live it out. But then something happens. Then there's pain. Then there's a problem. Then there's tragedy. There's crisis. There's persecution. Bottom line, it gets difficult. This is the soil. This is the heart that says, man, as long as life is good, I'm good following you. I'm good with you, Jesus. But as soon as life is no longer easy, is no longer convenient, is no longer comfortable, nah, this isn't for me. This is too hard. This is too difficult. This is causing too many issues with some other relationships, and it's interfering with my life. It's not doing what I thought it would do. So he begins, this person would begin to back away. Too much pain, too many problems. It's too hard. Notice here that Jesus highlights the reason for that. The rocks, the problems, but also the roots. And what's interesting is here, Jesus actually says the real problem is not the rocks. The real problem is the roots. Those roots are too shallow. They don't have deep enough roots, and they won't make it through the difficulties and problems of this life. That's the second heart, the second soil, the second category. Here's the third one. Jesus explains, verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear, hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. This third soil, this third heart condition or category is, is no issue whatsoever with the pain and the problems. The issue here is and I even love the word lure there. That Jesus says is they're lured away by other things. It's not a problem with pain and problems. It's an issue with the pleasures and desires of this life. There's, there's two ways to get me to let go of this tennis ball, right? And I've got a good grip on it. Two ways to get me to let go of this tennis ball. The first one is to come up here and try to pry my fingers off of it. You try to pull my fingers off. You may start to hit. You're trying to cause pain. Maybe if you cause enough pain, then I'll loosen my grip. But man, I'm resilient. And so you can pry my fingers as much as you want. You can cause as much pain as you want. I'm not going to let go of this tennis ball. So then there's a second strategy of the enemy. If pain's not going to work, let's try pleasure. Let's try other desires. And all of a sudden, when I'm holding, no, 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 I'll never let go. I'll never let go until something better comes along. No, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing better, but hang on a second. Let me check something. And we willingly let go. We willingly let go. Now, please don't make that just about the phone, right? I threw down something alongside to prove a point. That's the part of the parable, right? But are there things that we consider more desirable than Jesus? 
Is there something that has our priority, that is a higher priority than him and his word and his kingdom? This is the person that has no problem holding on to faith and holding on to Jesus and holding on to his word until something better comes along. And our focus gets pulled away and we willingly let it go so we can hold on to something else because you can't hold on to both. And we begin to let go. So the first soil is a hard heart that is resistant to God for whatever reason. The second is a heart or a soil that has excitement and joy until it gets too hard, too difficult, too much pain, too many problems. The third one is, no, I mean, Jesus is great for now until something better comes along. We begin to let go to pursue other things. Here's the fourth and final soil and category that Jesus gives and how we respond to his word. Verse 20, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, this is what's fascinating. All four soils have something in common. All four hearts all heard the word of God. They all heard about Jesus. They all heard about the kingdom of God. All four heard about it, but only one, and Jesus is very specific on using this word to describe the fourth soil, the good soil, only one produced anything. Did you catch that? All four of them heard, even even two, the second and the third were even excited and and were, were quick to receive God's word. But only one out of the four soils actually produced. Only one. And notice, it's not just produced some or just produced a little bit. It was 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. And the reason that's important and the reason Jesus uses those numbers most likely is to show that this isn't just common. This isn't what you produce just because you're a good person. Like, I know a lot of good people that do not have God's word planted in their hearts, and they produce good things. And Jesus is like, yeah, they exist, but it's not this much. This moves into the category of miracle. This moves into the category of you cannot produce like this on your own. This is evidence of God not just in you, but growing something and developing you and then producing something through. This is only a miracle of the Holy Spirit living in you. This is not something that you can produce on your own. That's the fourth soil. That's that's the heart that receives, allows it to take deep root, and then it produces So two questions I want us to wrestle with. Again, the whole idea of Jesus telling parables, it's a little confusing. We should lean in. We should stick around. We should move in and ask some questions. So two questions I want us to ask. The first one, so what does good soil produce? Like Jesus isn't like extremely specific. Again, we all produce something. Every human is producing. Is it good? Is it bad? Like what are we producing? Another way to ask that question is what do Christians produce? If you have Jesus in your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if God's word has been planted and has taken root in your heart, what is produced? That's a, we should figure that out. Scripture tells us, use scripture to, insert, to interpret scripture. In Galatians chapter five, I want you to read this in context. We don't have time to go through it this morning, but as you go through scripture slowly this week, there's in context, Galatians 5, 19 through 25. This is where we get what we call the fruit of the spirit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses that language of this is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning when the Holy Spirit is living in you, this is what he does to change you from the inside out, and this is what comes out of you. This isn't you work really hard and make these happen. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, and this is what is produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit produces. Now remember, it's not just a little. 
It's 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. Where I know a lot of people that have a decent level of patience that don't have God's word planted in their heart. The difference is, as a follower of Jesus who allows his word to be in your heart, oh, you don't just have patience. You have patience that other people look at and say, how in the world are you so patient through all of this? And you're like, trust me, I have no idea. It's not me. It's because God and Holy Spirit, I don't know how it all works, but, but he makes me so much more patient than I could ever do on my own. It's that joy. It's the joy that you have in every circumstance. How can you have joy when you're going through this tragedy or this crisis? You're like, it doesn't mean I'm happy about it and I don't fully understand it, but I know that I'm given joy and I see that joy in all circumstances. How do you have so much peace when everything seems to be going wrong? How do you have peace when all the things are not working the way that you want? And you're like, I don't know, it's, it's not me. It's I'm given a peace that goes beyond my understanding and I don't know how it happens, it's just what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. Do you see the 30, the 60, the 100 times of what's being produced in you? So what is being produced in a Christian? What is being produced out of that fourth soil, the good soil? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what's being produced. May, let me make just a few observations about fruit in general. Ready? Here they are. Here's the first one. Fruit is not for you. It's for others. The apple tree produces an apple. Not because it consumes its own fruit, it, it what? Gives it for others, and we enjoy it. So those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all, all of them, all nine, that's for the people around you. That's why we serve. That's why we take care of others. That's why we, and you could fill in the blank on how we love God and love others in this world around us, because we have the Holy Spirit in us producing the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit is not for us, the fruit is for others. The second one is fruit takes a while to grow. It doesn't grow overnight. So I, I want to caution you. Don't be sitting in the seats and be like, oh man, like if a Christian produces, like I don't have any of those right now. Give it some time. Give it some time. Plants don't grow overnight. Growth happens slowly and in different seasons. So allow him the time to grow those things in you. Give it time. Lastly, please don't misunderstand the metaphor and the parable here. It is not a work that we produce on our own. This is not what maybe some of you have heard of as works-based. Is there work in our faith? Absolutely. James tells us that faith without works is dead or useless. But understand that the order is important, that God's word is planted in our hearts. We receive it, we accept it, we make a commitment to him, and now we have a relationship. And from that relationship, the Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in us, and then begins to do something in us that we cannot do on our own. So what is produced is from God. It is not me trying to produce to impress God. Does that difference make sense? That's important. We are not trying to just produce the fruit of the Spirit so that, God, look at me, you should love me more. God, I'm trying to produce for you. No, it's he's doing this in you because you've already received him. So we don't do it for his, for his to impress him or to uh, maybe get him in this sense of, of accepting us or loving us more, we do it because he is doing it in us, right? So those are the three observations about fruit. Here's the second question we need to ask. So if that's, what, if that's what these responses look like to God's word, the second question we need to ask is, how do I respond when I hear God's word? Like even right now, I said we're like living this parable out. Even as we have gone through this parable, do you find yourself a little resistant? And like be honest, between you and the Lord, I mean, God, I just, man, this, why don't you just say what you're going to say and why does it have to be so complicated? Like, do you find yourself a little resistant to him? Maybe you do relate and resonate more with that, 
that first soil, that hard heart. Maybe it's that second one that you're like, man, there's just, why, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't understand why he would allow those things to happen. Maybe you find yourself more in that second soil. The third one where you love the idea of Jesus, but you like the idea of living the life that you want as well. Which one do you relate to? So here's what I want to do in this part. I want us to go through each of those real quick, and based on the one that you think, man, that's kind of me in this season, I'm going to give you one word that is intended to help you take a next step towards that good soil. So like I said, maybe if you, re- you relate a little bit more to that, that hardened heart, and whether you know why you have a hard heart or you're not sure, here's your word, brokenness. Your word is brokenness. Because what's the best way to get seed through hard soil? You got to break it up. So for you, if that's you, I would say begin coming to God and say, God, you have to break my heart. I don't know what's causing all of this anger, this resistance. Maybe you do know. And maybe it's going to start leading you down the path of forgiveness, humility. But you need a broken heart. And he is looking forward to breaking your heart and then rebuilding you. Don't resist a broken heart. Scripture tells us in Psalms that God is close. He is near the brokenhearted. Begin with a broken heart. Maybe you relate more to that second soil, that second category. You said, well, man, life's good, but when it's not, God, I don't understand. And you can't, you struggle with having a faith in the midst of difficulties and pain and problems. Here's your word. Your word is deeper. Remember what Jesus said? The issue with that second soil was not the rocks. The issue was the roots. You could try to spend all your days trying to pull all those rocks out. For somebody that has had to work in our yard, you know what you always find? More rocks. There's always going to be more problems. Removing the problems isn't going to work. So you dig your roots even deeper. You dig deeper into God's word. You dig deeper into your spiritual family. You dig deeper into your time with God through prayer. You dig deeper into him. Problems don't necessarily go away, but you dig, you dig your roots deeper. The third soil, the third category, how you respond to God. That's the one that opens their hand willingly. Man, there's a lot of other great things out there. Jesus, you're great, you're good. But this is better right now. This has my attention, this has my focus right now. I don't wanna let that go for you. Your word would be trust. What do you need to let go of so you can trust Jesus more? What do you still need to surrender to him? What do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to give up? What do you need to let go of so you can go back to holding tightly to him? There's a lot of great things in the world. Nothing compares to our savior. Hold tightly to him, but it requires trust. Maybe you do resonate and relate to the good soil, and that doesn't need to be said with pride and arrogance or ego. You can say, no, like, I see the fruit of the Spirit in me and I still have that humble heart and I'm still trying to learn and grow. I'm not perfect. I don't know everything, but I do relate to that forced soil. I say, that's great. But I have a word for you too. And it comes with a word of caution. Let me explain this, explain it this way. If you've ever worked in your yard or maybe you've even passed by a yard like this, um, that's only been mowed one time and was weeded one time. Do you have that picture in your head? (laughs) Right? You move into your house a decade goes by and you're like, well, I mowed once. I weeded it when we first moved in. I don't know why it looks like this. Like, how does it look? Give me a word. How does it look? It's a mess. It's a mess. So here's the word for you. If you resonate and relate to that forest soil, here's your word. Consistent. Consistent. 
Meaning, I need to continue to have that humble and broken heart, continuing to sit at the feet of the cross and recognize that I'm, in, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You continue to dig deeper. It's not like, well, I went to that one Bible study class and I'm good. No, you dig deeper. You still want to know more. You continue to find ways to trust Jesus more. In fact, now you intentionally take steps that say, I'm going to have to trust him a whole lot more. You continue to give up so you can hold tighter to him. It's consistency. Consistency. So here's how we're going to end. Typically, I would say, let's close our eyes. Let me pray for you, pray over you. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. So we're going to pull the lights down. I'm going to give you just a moment between you and the Lord. And this might be the first time that you've done something like this. That's all right. Be okay with the uncomfortable. And spend a moment between you and the Lord and the stillness of your heart. Would you first confess, Jesus, here's the soil that I think my heart currently matches with. And then secondly, would you begin to pray for that word, brokenness, deeper, trust, or consistent, and allow him to do the work in you.